Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey guys, sports betting season is in full force. NHL and NBA playoffs, we enjoyed those, and now football season is here. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 My Bet. US, you can receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses also. BetUS is known as America's favorite sports book for a lot of reasons. No matter what the season, BetUS has all the games, NBA, NHL, team, player props, loads of NFL and college plays, whether futures or individual game odds. You can bet UFC matches and props, PGA golf and round matchups and live betting on most sports including golf the online casino has hundreds of games and the race book has all your horse tracks they have every bet type imaginable and the sharp bet us mobile platform is easy with full betting options follow my lead and partner with a sports betting company with integrity and longevity like i did bet us you bet you win you get paid bet us In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Hour two of the Chuck Oliver Show on a Monday. And what we got left? We got about two and a half weeks of regular season left and i'm not saying that you know tuesday night maction i'm saying that like we have two and a half weekend slates let's say we have the coming weekend uh we have the saturday that whole weekend let's say following thanksgiving and then there are going to be some games a very few regular season games that'll be played on what we all think about as championship saturday and there will there will be some of those so we're really close to, to kind of putting a bow on at least the regular season. Uh, appreciate Matt Wyatt coming on as we talked about Mississippi State. This is the cool thing to me. The reason I brought that up is we are so deep into the season. We are truly the middle of November. And today, among the other programs that I was like, no, this got to be a priority today. Three in the West. Now, if it's the middle of November and we're talking three SEC West programs, it's supposed to be, for instance, Bama, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, like those four. It's not supposed to be 
Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Arkansas, and that's what we're doing today. Appreciate Matt Wyatt coming on in hour one, breaking down a great comeback. Uh, goes without saying, but just really a Mississippi State team that, you know, that's a game that the Bulldogs could have lost, and you would have looked at it not when it's 28-3, but when it came back and it was a little nip and tuck uh, before they stretched it out even. And it could have been another loss like the Memphis loss or the LSU loss or the Arkansas loss. And instead, it wasn't like any of those losses. It was like a win because it came all the way back. So that's good stuff there. And then uh, Nick Suss coming up, Clarion Ledger, what Ole Miss was able to do. I'm going to ask Nick about this specifically, but I'm not talking about the Ole Miss defense from Saturday night in terms of like a one-game thing. It is another game this season where Ole Miss actually played good defense. What was the game? Dan, what was the game earlier this season where like week one or two, was it? Where Lane Kiffin's like, yes, we won and it's awesome, but we played as bad a defense as that was possible. It was Arkansas. Arkansas, thank you. He's like, yes, we won. It's great. We were as bad as just physically you can capable as it's capable to be on on defense. And they haven't been. So uh, that was that was it was a good win on that side of the ball. And Texas A and M, I don't know what happened against Bama that night, offensively throwing the football because they have serious issues. And credit to the Rebels for taking advantage of it. And then uh, Andrew Hutchinson, bottom of the hour, going to talk a little uh, Hogs as um, they got the boot first time in five years. They got the golden boot, and it was a huge win, and it was legit. And it was against a talented team. And Jefferson made – wasn't about offense. Jefferson made enough plays. Um, and and LSU decided, yep, we're going to follow through with this. And I gave Coach O credit last week, by the way. And I'll give you a couple of headlines in a minute. But uh, I gave Coach O credit for being big in that winning – you want to win every week. And for the kids, especially, you know, the seniors or the guys playing their last games, you want those guys to win. For all the assistant coaches who – most likely will not be employed in Baton Rouge. You want somebody to win. That's what you're doing all the work for. Football, there's too much work to not go out there and try to win. There are a lot of young guys getting some snaps, and Nussmeyer's one of them. Had an interception in the end zone, but um, Arkansas, that was a great comeback and a great win. And, and actually just, I say great comeback. Um, the game never really got stretched out or anything. Um, just a really, really solid uh, season that they put together. It's a good bounce-back win. And, again, get a trophy game and all that stuff as you're getting ready to wrap up the season with uh, hopefully at least one more win. So that's Arkansas. That will be bottom of the hour. Uh, real quick, Butch Davis, I'll say, and we won't even play the intro. Butch Davis is out at FIU. He went a little bit Tommy West, but even more so. If you don't know, Butch is a pretty good coach, and he was brought – this is the weird thing. He was brought in in Miami to clean up the program following Dennis Erickson, and then he was the head coach at Chapel Hill where it was the worst cheating scandal on in program history. Um, but I've always liked Butch, and I don't know how much he got caught up in it and whatever else and was really on him, but he was the head coach, so he had to go. He's out at FIU. They posted his job online last month. End of October, you could have gone online to the American Football Coaches Association website. Job posting. Uh, let's see. Clemson needs a digital media director. Uh, let's see. Uh, Middle Tennessee needs a uh, – oh, FIU needs a head coach. Hey, Butch, uh, let me send you a link. What do you think of this? So – and there's other real serious issues. It says that two years they haven't been able to go out on the road and recruit. I stopped doing Conference USA games. My last year was maybe 2013. According to Butch, 
the team this year, he said we're using this is the we're using nine year old uniform. Did he say, Dan? Did you see that we're wearing nine year old uniforms? Nine year old uniforms, pads from Mississippi State. So that means that they got the uniforms. My final season of doing Conference USA in 2013, and they're using them this year. One more season. Um, so yeah, Tommy West. That's at it's painful. Bo Nix, he, he's having surgery on his ankle. Source says missed the rest of the regular season. That's a headline. And then I just want to give you a quote from Jeff Brom, head coach at Purdue. Quote, Ohio State definitely came ready to play. We were lucky to hold them to 59. I don't know that I've ever heard a coach say that. Ohio State definitely came ready to play. We were lucky to hold them to 59. They rolled through a pretty good team. And by the way, they got Purdue down early. And that kid is at Aiden McConnell. That's a pretty good quarterback. He's, he's gutsy. He's tough. Um, and they came back and made some plays. And so at the end of the game, there were some points on Purdue's side as well. There was not one minute in that entire contest where it ever materialized this. Hey, the spoiler makers, it was not going to happen. And I'm telling you, that receiver core up there, Jamison Williams got out of town because he needed to get out of town. That blows my mind. All right, we're going to break. We will uh, come back, talk more college football next. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Under all realistic, under all attainable scenarios, Ole Miss does not go to the college football playoffs. Um, But what Ole Miss can do is play either in the Sugar Bowl, perhaps. Um, A lot of folks are projecting Ole Miss to play in Atlanta in a bowl game. And wherever Ole Miss goes, uh, this feels a little different. In fact, it feels different. I can get in the DeLorean and go all the way back. Um, if if we look at Hugh Freeze when he first showed up at Ole Miss, and Ole Miss fans were starved for a little success, that year they played in the Birmingham Bowl. And it's not a good bowl game. And the stadium it's played in is an ashtray. And I sat down, and I'm watching the opening credits of this thing, and I thought it was a like a tape of an old Iron Bowl or something from Legion Field. And I was like, no, those are old Miss fans. There were 59,000 people that packed that place, and I was assured about 55,000 of them had made the drive over. So those are old Miss fans when it all kind of comes together. And that's what could be happening right now. Um, they get another win over the weekend. It's not just another win. They played defense, and they beat a really good opponent. And it was a giant environment and uh, just a real, real good, uh, high-quality win for them. Welcome on that right now from the Clarion Ledger. It is Nick Suss. Nick, how are you today? I'm good, Chuck. Thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, I always appreciate your insight. Let's talk about Saturday. Um, and, and I know how it ended. Ole Miss won. So I want to talk about some of the stuff around it. Talk about the environment leading up to it and what passes for the light show when they're, you know, flashing those lights on and off and all. It looked like as big-time environment as you're going to have at a, whole, at a home game outside of either like Bama or the Egg Bowl, for instance. It was huge. 
Yeah, it's funny that you bring up that 2012 Hugh Freed season because I've been thinking about that a lot since that Saturday game a couple of days ago because all the comparisons Saturday were to 2014 against Alabama because college game day was back on campus for the first time since that game and this was supposed to be Kiffin's big party like Freeze had then, but this game didn't feel like a peak like that one did. Like when you beat Alabama in front of college game day and you tear down the goalposts and you run around town, that feels like a culmination. This felt much more like 2012 when the fans were excited, but they don't think this is the tip top. And I think that's incredibly impressive if you're Ole Miss where people are coming to town and saying, well, if a two loss team's ever going to make the college football playoff, it's got to be this year's A&M team. Look how good they've been playing look how hot they've been and Ole Miss controlled the game for uh, four full quarters it felt like there was a little bit of a hiccup in the third quarter but I think for the most part the atmosphere was electric in game game day wasn't what it was in 14 it was 32 degrees out and the game was 12 hours after game day kicked off you weren't going to have a full grove for that but by the time it got to three or four o'clock and the game was approaching it was about as packed as Oxford's been in the time I've been here. Uh, it wasn't quite the same degree as the LSU game a couple of weeks ago no. when they retired Eli Manning's jersey and they had the big uh, push to sell that place out for the first time in years. But uh, for a game that was about 35 degrees at kickoff and you got about 60,000 people in a 64,000 seat stadium uh, at first kick, I, I mean, that was that's an incredible environment for Ole Miss. All right. I, I'm not saying it's anything flukish. I mean, every yard counts, but when it is ba- when a ground game is based w- around around a running quarterback or that's a large component of it it's uh kind of jimmy with things a little bit there that is not what the old miss rushing attack is right now no. like with john rice plumley or nick marshall at auburn or one of those uh johnny manzel that's not what this is and corral didn't even carry the ball much the other day um talk about ely Parrish, and connor specifically because that's that's as productive a threesome as you're gonna find yeah, I mean, I, I was wrong coming into the year when I predicted that Jerry and Ely would be the star of this team, not Matt Corral. Obviously, Corral has turned out to be a superstar, and everybody in the country knows his name at this point. But what we saw against A&M is kind of what I thought people would be seeing all year, which is Ely gets about 50% of the running back touches. Parrish and Connor get 25-25, with Parrish being more of your third down prototype back of swing passes and and getting involved in space and Connor being more of your bruiser up the middle who's going to fight the hard yards while Ely is your potential future NFL type back this guy who has all the talent in the world and drew comparisons to both Alvin Kamara and Andrew McCutcheon out of high school I mean he's a special athlete and this was the best game I've seen him play at Ole Miss either this one or the LSU game last year when he only played a half before getting hurt but he was electric he was strong between the tackles he showed off his probably 4-3, speed in space when he could get there. He was effective in the passing game, as both a blocker and as a catch, uh, as a receiver. Uh, this running game is what leads Ole Miss. I, I think that at this point, people know that Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy aren't running a pass-first offense, and anyone who doesn't know that isn't paying attention to college football. But I think the perception early in the year was Corral was the engine. Now I think people are starting to see Ely and Parrish and Connor, and these guys are really what makes this team go. And when they are on, the tempo is on. And when the tempo's on, very few teams can slow them down until they get inside the 10-yard line. Okay, I will say maybe it takes three, almost three full seasons of a kid's college career for me to learn. I'm a slow learn. Um, but Jerry Neely can handle the pounding, I guess. Um, not every yeah. week and not, you know, 12 straight games, but 
that kid is either bigger than I think, and I've seen him up close. He's either bigger or he's just really tough or they spot him correctly. I know he had just a couple of weeks recently where he wasn't playing much but because uh, the injury, but he's back now, man. He ran tough, and that was legit inside yard sometimes. Yeah, and I think with him, it's leverage more than anything else. He's just really good at positioning his body and getting under his own pads, and he delivered the blow. That's some of the first times I've seen that in person, and I've seen every game he's ever played. Nope. All right, we got him there. Do we nix us? Okay, he's back into the tunnel. Um, and so, Jerry and Ely, again, uh, go ahead with that, uh, Nick. You were talking about Jerry? Yeah, I was saying that that's probably the – lowest i've seen him run under his pads real good at positioning real strong under his legs and that's probably the strongest i've seen him between the tackles in three years covering him well we'll bounce it over to defense and i gotta say zach calzada um as each week was going along he started looking more confident getting more aggressive pushing it downfield and he didn't know if it was coming or going the other night um they got after him man a chance campbell what a game Chance Campbell had a great game. I give a lot of credit to the Ole Miss defensive line for the way they kind of pushed around a really good Aggies offensive yeah. line. And I know that was probably the first truly contentious environment uh, Texas A&M's offense has played in this year. But still, you give credit to guys like Katie Hill, Jamon Gordon, Isaiah Iten in the middle, and then obviously the pass rushers, Sam Williams and Cedric Johnson, who have been great this year. But give a lot of credit to Chance Campbell and Mark Robinson, two transfer linebackers who have really set the tone for how tough and hard-nosed this defense can be this year. That's something they've been missing the last couple of years. And even the first month of this season, I watched them and didn't think anyone on the defense sincerely believed they were going to get off the field. The last month since the Tennessee game, five games in a row, almost every drive they've been on the field, this defense has been playing with the air about themselves that they're going to get off the field. And there weren't a whole lot of three and outs against Texas A&M. It was a lot of five-play drives, a lot of six- and seven-play drives. It was a lot of Texas A&M is going to try and grind and play slow. Let's beat them at their own game. And after months of Ole Miss and struggling with tempo, that was a welcomed relief for these guys to be able to play a team that slowed it down and Ole Miss kind of getting to go into base and doing what it does well. All right, uh, last thing. we got about a minute and a half, so you can run a little bit with it. Uh, talk A.J. Finley because, uh, like, if you're yeah. playing fantasy football for college football, that kid's known as a stat stuffer on defense. Man, what a season he's putting together. Yeah, and I, I had this take about a year ago, and it's probably a pretty controversial opinion among Ole Miss fans, but I think he is going to end up being the longest-tenured pro off of this team. I think he has a long NFL career ahead of him because he does – everything well it's kind of like one of those guys where you see him as a draft scout and you think oh well he's a b plus at everything and that makes you an a as a player he doesn't have a hole in his game he's i think he has 21 22 tackles in the last two games obviously three picks in the last two games with one of them going off for a touchdown he struggled with injuries a little bit at the beginning of the year small nagging ones not any that's kept him out of the game but ones that slowed him down and really kind of the the linchpin for this defense is getting jake springer back after he missed four games early in the season because when Springer came back, that really freed Otis Reese to play the way he does at safety, and it freed uh, A.J. Finley to kind of play deep safety and do what he does exceptionally well. And So Finley is the first Ole Miss player since Cody Pruitt to have three picks in back-to-back seasons. Uh, Pruitt did in 13-14. Uh, Finley's pick six was the first Ole Miss pick six since 2018. Uh, and to do it on a play where A&M had really been crushing Ole Miss in the second half with these quick breaking out routes to get eight to 12 yards at a time. Finley read it. He saw where Calzada was going. He jumped the route. He did. 
he took off. I mean, that's incredible instincts for a guy who's almost always around the ball, who has good ball skills, and he's one of the best talkers on this team, too. He's got a really good head on his shoulders. There's a lot, a lot to like about A.J. Finley. Yeah, I got no issue with that young man, to be sure. Uh, Nick, appreciate it as always, man. Thank you. Yeah, happy to help, buddy. All right, Nick's us again, Claire and Ledger. A.J. Finley, um, big, big, he says, you know, he's hanging out doing what he does. What A.J. Finley does is Rome the secondary being really tall with long arms and uh he knows what to do with football when he gets it in his hands that's a really good looking ball player and I bet you he's he's pretty anonymous um so the whole defense though hopefully there's a little bit more of a light being shined on them everybody knows about Ely and Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin and everything on that side of the football but Ole Miss is winning in part because of defense of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show bumper pool he is Oh, I should have looked this up. He's at least a senior. He might be an extra senior, like a senior plus some. But he's a senior, I know, this year at Arkansas, and he's just a tough dude. And um, he's a kid from Texas by geography, but he's basically it, – it's over near Arkansas, and, and he was talking after the game Saturday um, saying – means the world i grew up a hog fan so i watched lsu arkansas my entire life to be able to get out here in baton rouge and win the boot uh it's a big deal again a kid from texas um kj jefferson my first time to ever see the book my first time to see the boot up close and personally it's like we hadn't won it it's been five years sam Pittman, he was showing his players pictures of the trophy because no one had seen it it's not nothing folks you lose to a team for like better part of a decade, and then you beat Texas A&M for the first time in nine years, that's not nothing. Same thing, five years with Texas A&M and you win, that's not nothing. want to welcome on right now a guy who does a tremendous job covering the Hogs, everything Arkansas for the Rivals site. It is Andrew Hutchinson. Andrew, how are you today? Doing good. How about y'all? Uh, doing pretty good. Let's talk about Saturday's win in a fishbowl, first of all. And this is huge because any conference, any win is big, especially for, you know, Arkansas fans, what they've been through. But a conference win, a division win, but a rivalry game over that bunch when the rivalry really hadn't been going on for several years, it, it goes beyond just the wins and losses in the standings. Oh, absolutely. This is a game that, that Arkansas fans really wanted to win, kind of like, as you mentioned earlier, the Texas A&M game earlier in the season. They had – you know, long losing streaks against both of those teams. And uh, to be able to get both of those trophies, you know, there's another one here in a couple of weeks against Missouri that they haven't won uh, since I also, I think also 2015, just like the LSU game or yeah, the LSU rivalry. So uh, that, that, that's a big deal for Arkansas fans to kind of, uh, you know, reestablish themselves as like, Hey, you know, we're a team that should be able to compete with Texas and we're a team that should be able to compete against LSU. That That's kind of how the fans see it. And to get that done, it, it it uh, it wasn't always pretty on Saturday, but uh, they they got it done and came away with the win. 
Yeah, Arkansas's averaging about 300, excuse me, about 300, about 30 points a game this year and obviously didn't even hit 20 the other day. That's impressive to me, though, because a team that when Arkansas is winning, I think they're going to be stretching things out on the scoreboard most often, um, especially with a quarterback like Jefferson and that whole offense and all the dynamic pieces, et cetera. They scored 16 on the road in the conference and won. Talk about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's the fewest points they've scored in a game they won since 2001. So it's it's been a while since they've won a, a slugfest like that. Uh, and, and you know, before the season, I would have told you I thought the defense was the strength of this team because they had a lot of guys returning, key players. You know, Grant Morgan, Bumper Pool, Jalen Catalan. You know, guys like that. Plus, they made some additions on the defensive line from the portal. And you know, I, I thought that was going to be the strength of the team. And through four weeks. That looked like what it was. I mean, they were top 10 defense through four weeks, and then they just completely fell apart against Georgia, uh, Ole Miss, which, you know, it's hard to blame them against Ole Miss. So we know what they can do on offense and Auburn. Uh, but since then, you know, they, they got that bye week a couple of weeks ago, and it really helped them against Mississippi State last week. Uh, then a couple of days ago against LSU, they, they looked really, really good. And so to be able to lean on your defense like that uh, is huge and you know, it's going to be something they need. You know, we, we could say what we want to say about this week against Alabama, but I think most fans are like, okay, let's let's see if we can get that kind of performance against Missouri to end the year. And uh, eight and four to, to end the year would be, uh, I mean, I, I think I said before the season that if, if Arkansas managed to win eight games, that Sam Pittman should be the uh, SEC coach of the year. Well, everybody knows about Traylon Burke. Saturday was more than him. It was Tyson Morris. It was Dominique Johnson. Who There there ain't two people listening outside the Arkansas fan base who know who Dominique Johnson is. I mean, it was Trey Knox. There was a Trey Knox sighting, which made me happy. Um, just talk about all the different receivers other than the stud who may be the first receiver off the board in April um, because it wasn't a big day for Jefferson, but he spread it around. Yeah, I mean, Jefferson completed a high percentage of his passes, even though it was only like 140 yards, something like that. And, you know, the big play was uh, him scrambling and, and somehow getting away from multiple LSU defenders and, and keeping his eyes downfield and finding Dominique Johnson, who was wide open. And, and you're right, that's probably a name most fans outside of Arkansas don't know, but it's a name they should know because he's a sophomore running back who, uh, before this past weekend, when they played, you know, ran into LSU, which is playing like one of the best defenses in the country right now uh, with back-to-back performances against Bama and Arkansas that have been phenomenal. Uh, but before that, he was one of the top running backs in the SEC in terms of yards per carry. Uh, you know, he made the most of his first real kind of action, like significant reps uh, against Mississippi State last week with a 100-yard game. Uh, he is a big bruiser-type running back who is hard to bring down. Uh, and he also has a little bit more quickness than you'd expect from a guy his size. So, uh, And that, that was his first receiving touchdown. It was just kind of a broken play that he scored on against yep. LSU. Just somehow got lost and was wide open and uh, was able to score on a 43-yard touchdown. That, that was a He would probably be the guy I would tell people, say, hey, keep an eye on him next year. He could be a, a big-time running back who uh, makes a lot of noise. Last thing I want to ask you about from Saturday, and maybe you want to take it beyond the LSU game, but um, it's not always just like the pure rushing yards, but K.J. Jefferson, his ability to extend, his ability to keep something going. Uh, you mentioned the one player, I think it was uh, Damone Clark he was you know, running for his life away from, but he's like 6'3", 250. That's a heck of a lot of quarterback to try to get down, but he also is legitimately, he's athletic and elusive as well. 
He really is. And, and I mean, we knew he was an athletic dual threat quarterback coming into this season, but to see him be the playmaker that he is, it has been a little bit surprising, especially at such a young, I mean, he's a redshirt sophomore yeah. who coming into this season had only started two games. And that was really his only significant playing time. And so uh, to see him play the way he did, I mean, I, I think it's safe to say Arkansas would not have won that game if KJ Jefferson was not their, their starting quarterback, because he made things happen. Now it wasn't a lot because LSU's defense wasn't giving up much, uh, but he made the plays happen when they needed to happen. And uh, he, he was run, I mean, running for his life all day because LSU uh, suddenly found out that they can be a really good blitzing team in the last couple of weeks. And uh, he, he got it done. I mean, and I don't think enough can be said about him keeping his eyes downfield on that pass to Dominic Johnson, because most dual threat quarterbacks that can run, they probably would have just, you know, as they've ran as much as he did on that play would have probably just took off and got what they could. But, he kept his eyes downfield and found yeah. a man wide open for a touchdown. That, that was a huge play. All right. Uh, this is just a projection on your part. But, um, uh, you know, I will say this weekend it could be a tough result. Alabama's really good. It's on the road, et cetera. Uh, but day after Thanksgiving, it's a home game against Mizzou with a chance to wrap up an eight-win regular season. Um, talk about the fan base and, and what that environment has the potential to be because this is a fan base been kicked in the teeth for a minute. And, and they have a chance to, have, like, really have this celebration. Absolutely. I mean, early in the season, like for, for the Texas game that was here at, at Razorback Stadium, it was an incredible atmosphere. And it was a pretty good atmosphere even you know, last month for the Auburn game, which Arkansas didn't win. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, or I guess, yeah, a couple of weeks ago now when Mississippi State came to town, wasn't as big of a crowd as it was earlier in the season, but it got loud. And uh, they, they are, they're feeling you know, the success that Arkansas has had and kind of uh, – really feeding off of that, uh, the play of the, the team. And uh, I think you, know, you never know what kind of crowd you're going to get with it being Black Friday, the day after yeah. Thanksgiving. The students are all gone and everything. But the way this team is playing, especially if they could go out and just be respectable events against Alabama this week, I think it could be a really good crowd. And, and I think Arkansas is going to be fired up both just because of the crowd and then also it just seems like Sam Pittman has done something to get these guys fired up and excited for the trophy games because there's a trophy for the Texas A&M game, trophy for obviously the LSU game, and then also, of course, for the Missouri game. And so to go three for three, the potential of that, I think they'll be fired up and, and ready to go uh, on Black Friday. Uh, last thing, real quick. Um, could you walk me through the health or availability or is it performance um, at running back, the two deep, because – it has not looked like I was expecting it to look at the beginning of the season. Um, so just kind of walk me through this. Yeah, so they, they have what I believe are four legitimate SEC running backs. They, that's probably one of the deepest positions they have on the team. And Traylon Smith was really good last year, and he's also been pretty good this year. Like, he, he hasn't been ineffective, but the guys behind him have just been better, and that's probably led to his carries going down the last few weeks. Uh, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what Sam Pittman has to say here in about, I don't know, 20 minutes or so about Raheem Rocket Sanders. Rocket Sanders, uh, yeah. He's a true freshman. He only he only played like one snap this past weekend against LSU. So anxious to see what his status is. Uh, but he had been running the ball really well as well, kind of the backup guy. And Dominique, as I said earlier, has, has worked his way from not just being a – I think he was like a third-team running back is what you would call him earlier in the season. But during fall camp, he was a guy – they actually moved the tight end for one day because they needed depth over there and he wasn't really high up the depth chart at running back. And 
Uh, now he's your starting running back and been really, really good. So uh, it's a really interesting group. And then the fourth guy in that is A.J. Green, a, a true freshman who I think might still need to develop some more but has a lot of potential and flashed uh, some really good plays early in the season yeah. against the likes of, of Texas and Texas A&M. So really deep group there at, our, at running back for Arkansas. Yeah, if you got a true freshman running fourth team averaging north of five yards a carry, that's not nothing in the SEC. So um, it just, it's really a lot of blue sky there. Hey, uh, Andrew, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for making time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, Andrew Hutchinson again from uh, the Arkansas rival side. And again, you throw K.J. Jefferson in there who's got, I don't know, about 500 yards on his own. And is this just monster coming at you? Whether it's a design, uh, whether it's play call and, and and design run or not, it's just a really diverse offense. And then on the perimeter, you have at least the best receiver in the conference. And then I mentioned Knox and 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 whomever. There's a bunch of kids catching footballs the other day because uh, Traylon Burks. Everybody knows where he is. So. Just a really diverse offense, and they do a great job with it, and they got a dub. And so now you look at the game this weekend. Again, it's a trip to Tuscaloosa. It's going to be a tough outcome, most likely. All right? That's 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 going to be your projection. Um, they're not as good as Alabama, and they don't have nearly as much on the line. Alabama can still win a national championship. The next opportunity to take a step to win a national championship is Saturday at home against Arkansas. So that's the that's the talented, well-coached opponent who also has that motivation. Truth is, you, you want to go to a better bowl than you will. Like, Missouri's still not good. South Carolina, I ain't even mentioned them. I don't know how that happened. You, Missouri can't stop the run. Missouri, uh, South Carolina's a pretty good running team. All of a sudden, Saturday, South Carolina can't move it on the ground. And Missouri gets – so I can't explain that. But Missouri is not good. And so, if you think Arkansas may finish the season one and one, well, all right, well, it's eight and four season. So the motivation against Tus- uh, Alabama and Tuscaloosa would be let's go nine and three instead of eight and four. Not nearly the same motivation as a more talented, sorry, better coached, sorry, uh, team at home in the division in the conference with the chance to win a natty. So that's what Arkansas is kind of looking at, and an eight and four season again, coming off what they've experienced. That's a, that's a heck of a turnaround. So good for Pittman and everybody there. All right, we break. Wrap up on a Monday next. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Here comes the Penn State Blitz. Lots of running room down the sideline. Eric All, the tight end. Will they catch him? No. Touchdown, Michigan. And the lead with three and a half to go. Sean McDonough. Is that ABC? I should know. I swear, I don't know who's on Fox. Troy Aikman works for Fox, right? He does. All right, I got that America's Game of the Week. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Uh, that was Sean McDonough, though. The Michigan-Penn State game, you know what that was? That was a fun November Northeast college football game. It was, And Penn State had nothing going. It was 7-3. It was 14-6. 
it was 14-6 in the fourth quarter. It was 14-6, and they had nothing. Go- and then all of a sudden, it was 17-14, and Penn State had a lead. Well, I mean, it's hard to blame you for Sean McDonough because he's been at both ESPN and also CBS. Remember, he used to call the College oh, World right. Series and all that. Yeah. So there's that. And hoops and all that. Uh, the other one, though, with James Franklin and the way that this offense has looked the last few weeks, all of a sudden, you think that there are jobs across the country that are saying, hmm, never mind. Uh, they fall again. And it's been the tough little round robin I talk about. Uh, and it did about a month ago. I was like, these Big Ten teams, there are some really good Big Ten programs, uh, Big Big Ten squads for this year. They're going to wind up with two or three losses. And so far, Michigan has been able to dance through most of that. Um, but the, what you don't hear often is a play-by-play guy going, and the tight end down the sidelines, you don't hear that, and, you, and nobody will catch him. And that's what happened as Cade McNamara with the big uh, game-winning touchdown pass there. As Michigan gets the dub again, improves to nine and one. They were sixth. I don't know what they'll be fifth. I don't. I don't know. Uh, maybe they. It's. It was a a better win than Alabama had. It was probably a. In fact, it was a better win than Oregon had against Wazoo. Cincinnati won. So I don't know what goes on. We'll see what happens tomorrow night. Uh, Dan will be here in just a minute. But right now, we'll wrap it up with the closing argument. The King's Closing Arguments, presented by the best closing attorneys in the business, Alexander Shannara and Associates. All right. One coach trying to get his team into the playoffs might have a problem with some simple math. Lincoln Riley says he understands the conference setup, but still disagrees, which makes it ludicrous. If you didn't see what happened the other day, Baylor has Oklahoma beat, calls a timeout with one second left, Hits what was a very uh, chip shot field goal is pretty dang close. And instead of winning by 10, game was in hand. Victory formation, kneel down. Except Dave Aranda used a timeout with one second left, kicked a field goal to extend a 10-point lead to a 13-point lead. Lincoln Riley cried foul. Lincoln Riley says, I understand it's the conference's setup. And I will give you the verbiage in just a second, but as of 2015, the conference changed its rules to include as the third item down, if there are three, a three-team tiebreaker, it is margin of victory in that three-team little round robin. Well, Baylor has now played Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. Baylor happened to lose to Oklahoma State by exactly 10 points. So if Baylor beat Oklahoma by only 10 points, does Lincoln Riley realize that literally there's no way Baylor could win the three-team tiebreaker? It would be impossible. He at least had to get more than 10. So at this point, losing by 10, winning by 13, Baylor is a plus three. Oklahoma State and Oklahoma play next week. And so you have a scenario where at least Dave Aranda looks around and is like, well, we have a three-point window where we might win a three-team tiebreaker. May 6, 2015, headline. New Big 12 tiebreaker rules, not perfect, but effective and needed. From the USA Today, May 6, 2015. It's also possible that one team does not sweep the other two in a three-team tie. And the tied teams all have identical records against the other conference opponents, i.e. their only losses came against each other. In that scenario, the league will bring tiebreakers in that has the potential for the most controversy point differential. This is a quote from Bob Bowlesby. 
there is, I think, a little bit of apprehension about scoring differential because theoretically it could contribute to running up the score. But I think when you get down to that level, there aren't a lot of real good ways to break the tie. This is probably as good as any Lincoln Riley disagrees. Again, that was set in stone six and a half years ago, and that is the conference just playing it out. I give Dave Aranda credit for knowing. I watched an NFL head coach in the final week of the regular season get a cell phone on the sidelines to call upstairs and say, hey, should I try to tie the game or should I try to win the game? What's it do for the NFL? Like, he didn't know the rules. Credit Dave Aranda for doing what he had to do. That is my closing argument. Dan, how you doing? Well, about? and also, too, I mean, Twitter being what Twitter is, people pointed out that Lincoln Riley subsequently did the same thing back in 2018 when they were beating Baylor, I believe at the time, 63 to 34. And Austin Seibert goes out there, lines up, kicks the field goal, and 66-34 is the final there. So, what you like do. you said, a, a, you know, it's usually the uh, short memory is not a thing there in the Twitter sphere. Uh, I haven't done this in a while, but I'm going to give out two of them. Uh, kind of uh, game balls, helmet stickers, whatever you want to call them from this past weekend. Number one, are we aware of the season and the performance on Saturday that Jermaine Johnson had for Florida State? Three sacks in the game, five tackles for a loss. By the way, his numbers this year, let me just run them down here really quick. He good. 11 sacks, 16 tackles for a loss. All of a sudden, you probably have Georgia fans who are looking at it and saying, gosh, that would have been fun to have on our side. But it's kind of hard to feel bad for you, Georgia fans, when you're getting the pressure that you're getting on opposing quarterbacks right now. And I think that probably it just was a situation where he got caught up in the numbers in terms of what they wanted him to do defensively, but also to the other players that he had to try to battle for said shots on the quarterback instead of going to Florida State and becoming the player he has because Chuck, he's got the size, he's got the speed, he's got all of those different types of things. Remember, he was the number one player coming out of junior college or at least one of the top players coming out of junior college when he came out of uh, the Kansas Junior College that he was at a few years ago. Uh, but uh, now, I mean, an opportunity for him to be able to make some serious money on Sunday, that's huge for him. The other one as well, we talked about earlier the struggles that Steve Sarkeesian has had at Texas. Florida State's got a chance, and they've got a really good chance of being able to make a bowl despite the loss to Jacksonville State and despite the early season letdown against Notre Dame in a game that they probably had and should have won. That credit's got to go to Mike Norvell for not letting that thing spiral out of control. We played what Steve Sarkeesian said earlier about, I got to find a way to tap in. I think that Mike Norvell found something to tap into with this program, and he's continuing to get recruits. He teased out on Twitter earlier today that he was going to be getting another one to Tribe 22. So all of a sudden, people, you know, one of those things sometimes, take a deep breath, maybe a little bit of patience, and it might just get there. Mike Norvell might have finally gotten this thing on the right track. Oh, for September. Oh, and four. Exiting September, including losing to Jacksonville State at B.C., in Gainesville, you got a shot. You'd be six and six, and you'd be playing a thirteenth game. That's that's not nothing, folks. I agree with you on that. All right, wraps it up on Monday. Thank you, David. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Twenty-two hours from now, I'll be back with more college football conversation right here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.
Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.